You're listening to the Reconditioned Podcast, and today I'm talking to world-renowned psychologist Dr. Shafali Tsabari, all about how we start reclaiming our power and start stepping into our authenticity as women. Keep listening. Your personality creates your personal reality. Authentic power is when your personality comes to serve The body is one ecosystem. You can get to the root cause and everything goes away. Welcome to the Reconditioned Podcast, where I use my knowledge and expertise of over a decade in the wellness and transformation world to take a deep dive into what makes us thrive as humans. I'm Lauren Vaknin, leading wellness and transformation coach, and following my remission from the rheumatoid arthritis I'd had for 27 years that left me wheelchair-bound by the age of 18, I created a unique coaching combination, conflating physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects of self to create true, long-lasting well-being in all senses of the word. This podcast is one of the many free resources I've created to help you achieve the same. Whether you're suffering from chronic illness, raising children in a world of conflicting information, you're an entrepreneur wanting to step into your purpose, or you simply want to feel empowered and motivated to become the best version of yourself, join me along with expert guests as we uncover the most actionable and tangible ways to recondition ourselves back to wellness. This season of Reconditioned is sponsored by Block Blue Light, the world's leading supplier of blue and artificial light blocking products, including blue light glasses and blue blocking lighting solutions. Blue light blocking products aim to alleviate digital eye strain, improve sleep, and optimize health through mitigating the harmful effects of artificial light from screens and modern lighting. For a 10% discount across the range, visit blockbluelight.co.uk and enter the code LAUREN10. Thank you to Block Blue Light. Hi everyone, welcome back. Thank you for tuning in once again. I have just recorded a phenomenal episode with Dr. Shafali Tsabari, which was a real moment for me actually because I've been reading her books for a long time. I actually read The Conscious Parent before Braxton was even born. So I've really been following her work for a long time and her kind of ethos on conscious parenting and raising children in this conscious awareness of having to heal ourselves before we can be any sort of conscious parent. So I love that. But the reason I was so excited to speak to her today was because of her new book, A Radical Awakening, which anyone that listens to me, follows me on Instagram will know how passionate I am. That's my main thing which is helping women step into their power and their purpose and their authenticity. And that's exactly what her new book was about. So I was just kind of spending the whole time just like nodding my head, like one of those annoying little Churchill dogs that sit on the dashboard in a car because I was like, yeah, 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 authenticity, rock bottoms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was really exciting for me. It was a great episode. She's so full of knowledge. She's so lovely. She's so freaking real as well. Like she just tells it how it is. She was like, yeah, I was just really pathetic at this one point. And... You know, I just kind of love that realness. So I'm just really excited for you to hear this episode because of everything she offers in terms of just how we step back into our power as women. Why have we stepped out of it in the first place? And if you are a man listening right now, please don't switch off. It's equally important for you to listen to this as it is 
for the women in your life. Because without men understanding how we shift this paradigm and enabling us, not enabling us because it's up to us essentially to take ownership of our lives, but if the men in our lives offer us the opportunity to take part in this growth and to step into our authenticity, not based on what you guys expect us to be or what society has told you we should be, but just who we are authentically without any of those masks. That's what we need. So equally, I want women and men to listen to this and pay attention to what she's saying and hit me up on Instagram at Lauren Vacneen. Tell me what you think about this episode and buy her book, A Radical Awakening. It's a truly beautiful book that every woman needs to have. It's also one of those that you don't even lend out. You just keep it on your shelf. You keep it for reference. It's one of those. So let's head into the episode now and I really hope you enjoy it as much as I did. After receiving her doctorate in clinical psychology from Columbia University, Dr. Shafali began specializing in the integration of Western psychology and Eastern philosophy. She is an expert in family dynamics and personal development, teaching courses around the globe. She's written four books, three of which are New York Times bestsellers, including her two landmark books, The Conscious Parent and The Awakened Family, which caught the attention of Oprah, who endorsed her work as revolutionary and life-changing. As an international speaker, she speaks at events around the globe, spreading her message of conscious parenting and mindful living. She also has a private practice where she consults with families and couples. So Dr. Shafali, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Uh, Well, I've been a fan of your work for a really long time. And I think I just said to you in the the pre-show, I actually read The Conscious Parent before my son was even born. Um, And so I'm really excited to dive into conscious parenting. But your newest work is really exciting me because it focuses on helping women find their purpose, um, which is just such a huge passion of mine. We're going to get into that, your new book, The Radical Awakening. But before we do, I always start the show by asking the question, what have you done so far today to support your wellness? As of right, like it's only 9 a.m. So I, I have learned about the power of sleep. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that's a big topic today about how we deny our sleep. So uh, I've really honored my body's desire to rest. And I really stay away from, you know, screens or anything addictive at night, like a Mm. TV show. And I know many people like that to unwind, but I just go into a meditative space and just fall asleep. And that has really revolutionized my alertness during the day, my focus, you know, allowing myself to sleep a good eight, nine hours is so key for my well-being. Yeah, I agree. I always find it interesting though, because I speak to a lot of kind of biohackers and, you know, these kind of people, and we're always talking about sleep optimization. But, you know, you wrote the book, The Conscious Parent, you're a mother. What do we tell women who are like, yeah, but my kids don't sleep. So what do I do? It's just kind of that stage in your life, right? There's just not much you can do. Oh my goodness. I mean, I've been there too. So the first 10 years of, you know, the collective childhood you will be completely sleep deprived. You know, the other day I was at a CVS and I was uh, just telling a friend that this was the CVS I used to come to when my daughter was young and I used to escape to the CVS to just wander (laughs) the aisles. And it was so lovely for me to just be just wandering in the aisles of CVS. We women are exhausted during our children's childhood because we are enmeshed with our children in a way that 
their fathers won't be because mm-hmm. our biology is different. Our psych- psychological enmeshment with them is therefore different. So we will be exhausted. Our bodies have gone through so much. And that is a phase of life that we women need to surrender to rather than trying to do it all and be it all, rather than trying to get your body back. I mean, I stayed a good 20 pounds beyond my quote unquote ideal weight for a good three, four years. But I also broke down because I was doing a PhD and raising a child. And this pressure on women to do it all, I think can be a toxic pressure. You know, we we can't do it all, all the time. We can do it all one at a time. And to put that pressure on us that now we need to get our body back and now we need to be sexy and now we need to be successful and now we need to cook cookies for the the girl scouts is a bit too much yeah it's we need to be everything all the time and i the the words there that you used which is really the one to focus on is surrender i just we we need to surrender we need to surrender i think also in those early stages of motherhood instead of getting kind of annoyed or frustrated that we can't get that sleep is just surrender to that as well because babies aren't meant to sleep through the night there's nothing you can do at that point and they will grow and then they will start sleeping right but also taking things off our plate so because we're tired we have to negotiate you know being okay with dirty dishes longer Mm. in the sink we may have to negotiate with unwashed hair longer than we like some things are going to have to get drop off Mm. you know so for the first 10 years of my daughter's life I did not travel for work. I did not accept out-of-town business engagements. Yes, so I had to accept and surrender to a different income, you know? So there are compromises, but if we don't look at it as sacrifices, then we can lean into it and embrace it more. It's still difficult, but we can at least stop the fight that it needs to be another way. Yeah, so true. I just love how you put that. And also because I guess we're, you know you're saying about sacrifices but if we don't do that we're sacrificing other things and how we're raising our children look at it as a sacrifice Mm. if we look at okay this is colossal this is huge and this is my undertaking right now I wanted to become a mother and this is what it takes Mm. and you know not begrudging what it takes uh, but instead accepting it with grace will allow us to move through the journey in a better way. Look, the child is here now. Mm. What are we going to do? Right? Now we <laughs> yeah. have two choices to grumble through it all, to uh, get upset with society or our partner through it all, or just embrace it. Well, I wanted to be a mother and, and say your partner is completely a slouch. You know, now you're like, okay, I didn't know this partner was going to completely be a loser, but we got to accept it, right? Yeah. What to do? Now we have to embrace that this is what we wanted. And what I mean by that is not to be a pushover, but to let go of that resistance because resistance of wanting it to be a particular way causes more struggle within us mm-hmm. rather than acceptance that, you know what, now my body's a mess. I am overweight. The dishes aren't done, but this is what the way it is and the way it's going to be for a few more years. And I surrender to this. I'm mm-hmm. okay with it because I'm raising a child. Yeah, acceptance is such a huge lesson in early motherhood. Yeah, yes. So just before we kind of dive into everything, for those, I mean, I'm sure most people listening probably heard of you, but I'd love to hear just a little bit about your backstory and how you came to the work you're doing and why you're so passionate about it. Well, I'm a psychologist, so working with people and helping people become better at managing their lives is my passion. 
I'm also uh, very much a meditator and into Eastern philosophy. So I have integrated Eastern philosophy with Western psychology in helping people. And I, when I became a mother, I realized that the parenting paradigm is really toxic for mothers, especially. So I began writing these books that I didn't realize was going to transform the parenting paradigm, but, but that's what it ended up doing. Looking at the traditional parenting paradigm as toxic and why is it toxic? And so I wrote my first book, The Conscious Parent, and then I wrote two other books. And now I've come up with a third book. So this is my, with my fifth book, actually. But this is my passion to help people really optimize their most powerful self and understand the barriers that culture has placed on them and how to dismantle those barriers. Because culture has told yeah. us lies. Right. And because of those lies, we suffer. Like the lie that women can do it all. Yes. While that's true, it's not the whole truth. No, you know the sentence needs to be women can do it all one at a time right or we can do it all but what will suffer and kind of what will happen if we do do it all right we can do it all but we don't have to do it all because we're good enough as we are you know there are many ways to end that sentence right good enough as we are yeah I work with this stuff like so right so let's dive into a radical awakening um because it's a really really powerful book and I'm so happy you've written it um and obviously it's looking more at women as opposed to women who are mothers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a lot of my work spoke, focuses on the things you speak about here, like talking about rock bottoms and victim mentality and the ego self um, and all that stuff, which really kind of leads to true healing. So I'd love to you to I'd love for you to go into why you wrote this book and what you were hoping for women to gain out of it. So this book, A Radical Awakening, is to help women unleash their inner knowing and enter their true sovereign self. The reason I wrote it is because I work with scores of women who present to me how disconnected they are from their inner source of inner empowerment and place in the world, place in their body, disconnected. And the reason for this is because young girls world over are trained to be disconnected. We're trained to look outward for external sources of validation, approval, and praise, which I call the triple threat in the book. And the foundation really is unworthiness. So we we have been trained to feel unworthy unless we fulfill an idea of that perfect woman. So we wear many faces to get that approval, validation, and praise. We become people pleasers or rebels or fighters or achievers or good girls, all to get that love and worth. So this book is a pathway for women to reclaim their true authentic self and let go of the need to forage for love and worth from the outside. Beautiful. <laughs> just just stunning because that is exactly what we do. We feel like our worth comes from what we can do or what we can give without actually acknowledging that our worth is there regardless of what we do to, to get that. And it's like that validation only comes and we only feel worthy if we're constantly doing and doing and giving. Yes. So how do we get to that point of knowing that our self-worth 
that our value is already there, regardless of what we're doing and who we're giving to. So to get to that point, we need to be aware of what has happened to us. Mm. And to become aware of what has happened to us, we simply need to look at our patterns. We need to wake up to how we feel on a daily basis. When we wake up and become aware, you know, I'm feeling disenchanted, I'm feeling disempowered, I'm feeling disillusioned, I'm feeling lost, I'm feeling apathetic and and feel like I'm languishing my life away. When you wake up to connect to your feelings, that's the first step. First, you have to become aware Mm -hmm. that you're out of sync. Then you have to seek help to discover why you're out of sync. So our first line of attack is that it's the partner, it's the child, it's the shoes, it's the boss, it's the weather, right? It's something on the outside. Then is the admission that maybe it's it's something within me. And not that I'm to blame, but I am to, to cause the solution. And then you have to go on a journey. And that's what this book, A Radical Awakening, speaks to. The journey you go on to recover your authentic self. So how does one do that is first you become aware that you are in a displaced state of existence, that you are acting inauthentically. You have to be in touch with your inauthenticity. You have to get in touch with your fear, which is so hard to do. Then you have to discover why you've been in fear. Mm -hmm. Oh, you've been in fear because you're scared of creating conflict. You've been afraid of being rejected. You don't want to be left alone. You don't want to be abandoned. So you get in touch with your fears. Then you discover why you have these fears. Oh, because I don't have a connection to myself. Now you go on a journey to reconnect to yourself, which is a, a journey of understanding who you truly are, that you are worthy, And how does one do that? One does it through present moment awareness. That look, see, I just gave my power away to this person. See, I just succumbed to my belief around rejection. See, I just acted as if I was unworthy. So in each moment you disrupt those patterns and I show you how in the book. You talk in the book about victim mentality, which I think is so important. I'm so glad that you've written about this because you know, as women, we might well have been victims of something or other, whether it's abuse, whether it's a health situation, whatever it might be, there may well be an an element of victimhood there. But I guess it's towing a fine line between having been a victim, but then kind of living our lives based on that victim mentality or letting victim mentality dictate our lives. So how do we kind of navigate that, I guess? I'd love you to crack that wide open for us. So the first thing I want people to understand is that there is such a thing as a victim. You know, bad things do happen to good Mm. people. And I, I say that very simplistically. So if I'm running in Central Park and I get raped, I was a victim of rape. If somebody abuses me, I can be a victim of abuse. If our child gets molested, they can be victims. So let's be very clear that there is such a thing as a victim and women need to understand that it's okay to say, hey, I've been a victim of sexual, emotional, or physical abuse. We are so stigmatized against wanting to be seen as victims Mm. that we actually miss the point that there is such a thing as a victim. You know, people of color have been victims of racism. Black people have been slaves. There is not something made up right this there is such a thing the jews were in the holocaust so things have bad things have really happened and we need to teach our daughters 
and embolden ourselves to say, okay, I was a victim, not my fault. Now, what is victim consciousness? Victim consciousness is when you stay in that mode. Now, some PTSD is normal. Some PTSD, especially from slavery, from the Holocaust, from, from years of persecution is so normal. So we have to recognize PTSD. We have to heal through PTSD. But many of us cling to victim consciousness because now it becomes a subtype of our personality. And we have to show people how they're staying stuck in lack and scarcity and how they are creating their own self-abuse. And that is hard for people to see. But first you have to honor why they feel like they have been victims. Mm. Then you teach them that they need to get out of victim consciousness. But don't simply call someone a victim without honoring why they feel they're a victim. Mm. You know, there could be some relevance there. Mm. So we honor their, their moment of victimization. Then we honor their PTSD. And then we can challenge, okay, now you've been in victim consciousness. Right. So calling it victim consciousness and and it because it's not minimizing the fact that someone might have gone through a lot. I mean, many of us have had all sorts of things in our lives, you know, that happen and it's not discrediting it or minimizing it or trivializing it. It's acknowledging it. It's being with it. It's healing it. But then moving out of letting that affect you moving forward in terms of how I suppose how you navigate life, not allowing it to be based on the abuse or the thing that happened. Yes, we cannot bypass the process. You know, we cannot say, pick yourself up by the bootstraps Mm -hmm. when that person cannot. And number two, we cannot compare one trauma to another. Oh, you just got slapped once and you're acting like you're, you know, a crybaby. I was raped 10 times. Like you can't compare traumas. Mm -hmm. You know, if that, if we want to heal, we have to honor that we were traumatized. And this is how the PTSD has affected us. And here's how we need to move out of it. That is what it means to compassionately embrace our own life circumstance, not compare it to others, and also not think ours was greater than others. Mm -hmm. Just like we can't think ours is lesser, we shouldn't think ours is greater. And truly do the work to integrate what our narrative has meant for us and then move out of it. And But the only way to really move out of victim consciousness is to see why people are stuck there. Right. So blaming them and uh, derogating them is not going to help us. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to ask what's been kind of the because I know you've spoken recently about things that have, have happened that have changed in your life. What's been the main trauma for you that's pushed you into this work? You know, I started doing this work when I was 21. And I often say that people come to spiritual work through natural seeking or through trauma. Most come through it through trauma. I actually did not come to it through trauma. I genuinely was extremely empowered and happy. And I began doing this work through seeking. Uh, However, that doesn't mean I have not had trauma. I think my main trauma throughout my life, the thread has been this severe indoctrination of being a good person and what that means, a good girl. And it's been so difficult for me to step into masculine energy. And that's been my life's work. So each person has to see their initial trauma and how it has created a void within them in their personality or their sense of self, and now grow into that. 
So for me, my growth has been to be a masculine energy. I'm really good at feminine energy. I'm so good I can be too feminine and too toxic in that way. Yeah. So I've had to watch that in me. You know, when does my flexibility become absolute civility? You know, when does my adaptability become passivity? You know, I can go so extreme in wanting to be lovely that I, I absolutely abnegate myself, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I began to watch that in myself. That boy, you just so want to be a good woman, you give up every shard of your own value. So when I began to see my own inner toxicity, I could move the needle back toward my wholeness. So each person has to discover where their needle needs to move toward, you know, and, and begin to heal themselves. Mm. So now I take care of myself. Now I speak up for myself. Now I don't let people get away maybe too much now uh, with, with a self-preservation. Now I preserve myself where before I would give up myself I would divorce myself uh, yeah like it's just so interesting because I was going to say so how does that kind of show up for you how does that manifest for you but those kind of masculine energy traits of the stepping more into your power I suppose and just speaking up for yourself it's the more masculine energy and again um, self-awareness right being aware whoa, whoa, mm. whoa I'm again not speaking up I'm again taking it I'm again keeping quiet to keep the peace I'm again acting out of fear and submission and hesitancy when I freaking know what I know, you know, and catching yourself, right? And looking in the mirror, going, what are you doing right now? Yeah. So self-awareness in the present moment is really the panacea, is the solution. Yeah, there's so many women, I think, you know, I see it so much and it's such a common thing. It's probably the majority of people that you and I both know this this the goodest you know the good girl that we have to be the good girl and we have to be the everything and 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 conform to what everyone expects of us in order to be accepted and I think probably most women listening to this will be able to relate to that it's just something I see so often right because we're so afraid to be called the bitch mm. we're so afraid to right. be the the dramatic one you know we've been told such you know negative things about speaking up don't be dramatic. Why are you so angry? Why right. can't you just be in a good mood? Why can't you just smile? Right. You know, the other day I was talking about my book and, and some comments reflected, oh, Dr. Shivali seems so bitter. You know, no, I'm not bitter. <laughs> the bitter truth. Right. right? I, I, what I have to say is a bitter pill to swallow, but people project that. So right. we women have imbibed that and taken that in. And, and now we're so afraid of those labels. But we have to fight against those labels and realize that those labels were coming to keep us submissive. And once we do that, then we can catch ourselves to say, no, I don't mind. You can think whatever you like of me. This is how I feel. And then we can communicate without anger, mm -hmm. without outrage, but in a very equanimous, powerful way. But that mm -hmm. takes a lot of work because we've been told not to do that. So we have a lot to fight against in within ourselves which is really hard to do I think also you know there are really great things about social media you know I definitely kind of connect with a lot of like-minded people because of it but we've also got this cancel culture and there's a lot of jealousy on social media so if someone's achieving and someone's succeeding a woman's succeeding there are a lot of people who don't like that and it really is more about women you see this more directed towards women a woman who's succeeding she seems powerful a lot of other women don't like that and it, and it really comes from the men it comes from the other women 
And so I wonder kind of how we shift that, you know, is it kind of just on an individual level or is there a better way of us kind of shifting more into this? Yeah, it's hard. That's why I wrote this book, because we women are our greatest enemies now within the self and toward each other. Men are not as competitive. We are, mm. you know, and so this book is a wake up call to us women to, to say, if you want a different world for your daughters and you want to live in a different world, you need to enact sisterhood and you need to enter this community where we where we're not competing with each other. So women are out beautying women, not men are not doing it. Men are getting bald and fat and quite, quite happily. <laughs> they're, not, they're not competing for us. We're competing with each other. We're raising the bar on how to look beautiful. I mean, mm -hmm. I can't keep up. I don't know whether you feel that way. I mean, I simply cannot keep up because mm -hmm. each time it's something different. First, it was silky, shiny hair. Okay, so you buy the lovely shampoos and the, the hair masks. Now it's beautiful eyebrows. Then it's beautiful lashes. Then it's beautiful earlobes. I can't keep up anymore. I'm like, how many things do we have to do in a day? The yeah. other day, a woman got her lips tattooed. I was like, really? Now that's on the market. So I'm not judging her, but now it's putting pressure on me, right? The, the part in me that gets seduced by this, who's now going, okay, what is a lip tattoo? Now, what does that mean? Now, oh, so she said, oh, you don't have to put lipstick or lip gloss for six months. Your lips look glossy for six months. I go, oh, is that a thing? Right? So it's never freaking ending, but who yeah. is doing it? We women are. Yeah. Men are not coming up with these lip tattoos to look have glossy lips. So what does this do to women who are busy mothers, who are exhausted, who cannot even wash their underwear? You know, it puts this pressure. Now they are not good enough, even more, even more. And it's too much. You know, we women need to boycott all this so that all of us can be released from this pressure to have the perfect everything. Now, you know, we all want the perfect everything because it's available, but it puts so much pressure on us how many things can we do in a day? Yeah. yeah. I can't even cut my nails, honestly, with a nail cutter. I just bite them off. Because <laughs> by the time I have to go look for the nail cutter, then go aim it over a place. I mean, I'm just like, let me just bite it off. So, and and I'm, I wonder women who wear nail polish. I mean, good for them, but I just literally cannot even manage that. I know. Right? So good for, and, and this is no judgment. It's just going, wow, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work being a woman. It really is being a lot. Of, it's a lot of work when you, you know, kind of, I, I think being a mother and being a mother in business and you kind of got all those expectations that you have to, you know, I mean, I, my kids are two and five, so I have to, I'm very present and, you know, and I'm running a business and it's not easy. And, it, and then you've got this kind of idea of all this competitiveness and I have to look a certain way. Because we put that on, you think yeah. a man before he comes on a video or goes on stage, I mean, I've, I've talked with so many men, they, and I wonder, I'm like, are you going to wear that? And they do, they literally walk on stage yeah. totally themselves because mm -hmm. they allow themselves to. Mm -hmm. We cannot do that because we don't allow ourselves, including mm. me, right? So I'm just talking about the phenomenon, mm. how difficult it is because we put so much pressure on ourselves. Yeah. So the only way to release that is slowly, one by one, taking off one pressure after another. So I, in, in the pandemic, began wearing the same clothes. Like I was like, that's we it. All did, yeah. <laughs> just wear the same five outfits. And that just freed me up. I was like, wow, I get Steve Jobs now. Why he wore the same t-shirt. Yeah. So we need to really, wherever we can, 
in whatever small way, release some pressure, you know, like that's why I said, you know, let, allow the dirty dishes. You cannot do it all. So let that go. I'm interested to know what kind of prompted this in you. What, when did you start seeing this in yourself? The part of me that wanted to stop all this? Yeah, like the part of you that, that you just started realizing, whoa, we've just been kind of suppressed and we have all these expectations that the things that led you to, to write this book, what and actually I led you there? It. I've lived with it and I began observing it since my 20s. I've been working with people in, from my 20s and woman after woman feeling oppressed just breaks my heart. And, you know, men just can't understand what we do to ourselves because we do it to ourselves now. Mm -hmm. The external oppression has become internal oppression. So it broke my heart and I began to see my own self act like a fool. And it breaks my heart that I've, I've subjugated myself to such levels just because I want to be seen in a particular way. I'm hungry for love and worth. And I became pathetic, you know, I wouldn't speak up for myself. And I realized that I was chaining myself because I was afraid, you know, because I'd indoctrinated some messages from culture that I had to break free of. Mm -hmm. So this is my ode. I say it's an ode and an homage to every woman to reclaim her authentic self. This is my gift to women to say you are capable, you are beautiful. These are the ways that you've been holding yourself back. Don't do it anymore. Here, this is how I liberated myself here. Take the keys try to start using them so that you can leave the cage one chain at a time. It's just very interesting hearing you saying this, you know, you're someone that people, women would look at and think successful New York Times bestseller, Oprah, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And that even someone like you can feel these things and can say, no, you know, like I was pathetic and, and kind of wake up to that. It, it's just really empowering and really refreshing Yes, yes, I was very pathetic. And especially considering that I was so successful, you would think that I would be, you know, but this is what I mean. It's so deep, even though I was super successful and I don't even know how I was given how pathetic I was, you know, but deep down I fought an inner battle and it was silent at times. And sometimes it was obvious, but, you know, my daughter once said to me when she was 12, you know, mom, you're a really plush carpet that everyone likes to walk on, you know, and then when a co-worker or a team member on my team, an employee actually, uh, you know, stole something from me, my daughter said, of course she would steal from you because you're so easy. And I was mm. like, what the hell? She was right? 12. Yeah, no, this, this last part she told me recently when she but when she was 12, she said, you're a really plush carpet that everyone wow. likes to walk on. So, you know, she could see something about me that I wasn't, um, I wasn't willing to see about myself. And I needed to own that and realize that there's something within me that allows people to take advantage of me. And unless I owned that part, I would keep allowing it. So this is what this book especially talks to is how are each one of us co-creating our own dysfunction? You know, the other day a client came to me complaining about her narcissistic husband. And although he was a brute and a total ass, you know, I still had to tell her, how is she allowing it? What are the nuances in her behavior that keep allowing her to not have that boundary? 
And what are her fears? And of course, we women have so many fears, fears of rejection, abandonment, betrayal, fears for our children, right? It's not easy to simply say, oh, leave the marriage. That's not the answer. The answer is to really understand what am I doing to create the abuse or co-create the abuse? And how can I slowly step into my power? Because we women have to carry the pain of our children. So it's not so easy, you know? And, and, you know, I stayed in my relationship for 25 years. It's not like, oh, you know, this is like an instant, like just leave. No, this is not about leaving. This is about owning the, the stumbling blocks, truly having compassion for them. And sometimes it's staying, but staying with greater awareness. So that must have been like a real shedding process for you, kind of leaving that relationship. You had a child together and you've created this identity and all of a sudden you kind of have to shed this identity. Was that part of the kind of stepping into the authenticity? Yes, yes. And it was very painful because there was so much feeling and love and um, I had to I had to make a choice between my greater authenticity and freedom versus a relationship that was not able to grow with me. And, you know, love doesn't change. You know, you have great love and great pain. And, you know, you grew together, you lived together, you created whole lifetimes of memory together. But then you come to a point where you have to step into your greater authenticity. And sometimes the relationship can come with you and sometimes it can't. And that's okay when it can't. You have to release it with love and grace because if you also keep taking it where the relationship can't grow, you're not doing a service to the other person. You're torturing the other person. You're like, grow, grow, grow. And the other person can't because they want to grow in a different way and that's okay. So you do it slowly and you do, you know, it took me years and years to unshed because I had deep attachment and uh, but you have to be brave and go where does my growth want to take me and you have to answer your inner calling and that takes a lot of courage it really does and especially for women who have children I I, this is one of the things I deal with most with clients the thing that comes to me the most is women in either unhealthy relationships or just the women and I I always kind of use this that in the they're like I'm not unhappy, you know, that state, that stagnant no man's land of it's fine, you know, but fine isn't happy, fine isn't good, fine isn't how we're meant to be living our lives. I This kind of brings me back to, I'm sure you've read Glennon Doyle's Untamed. I mean, everyone, you know, it's just kind of short. And what I love about what she did with that book was, you know, the first thing we will say as women wanting to leave a marriage or a relationship is, but it will damage the children. Mm-hmm. And she looks at well, what what behaviors are we modeling for our children mm-hmm. by staying? Correct, correct. And and I wonder how that showed up for you. Well, exactly like that. Like uh, I couldn't be unhappy because I would be unha- un- unhappy mother. So you know, even when women are clearly unhappy, they don't want to leave because societal fears of how it will look is so deeply embedded in us that we're so afraid to step out of that shame and that guilt. But when we begin to understand that society puts that pressure because society is in fear that most of us will not be able to do it well, Mm. that's why society puts those prohibitions. But if you can step into your power that, no, I can do this well. Mm. I can keep my children whole. There is a way to do this that will keep them healthy. And if we have enough models around us, then we go, no, no, it's okay. So as as a therapist, I teach my clients that there is a way to do it beautifully, even if the other partner doesn't. 
So there is a lot of power we women have that we haven't stepped into because we're afraid we don't have that power. Because told us, no, no, there's no way to do this beautifully. No, there is a way. It's not perf- perfect, but the other way wasn't perfect either. Mm. Staying wasn't amazing either. So there will be pain, but there's pain both ways. So let's have pain that at least takes us towards greater grace than pain that just stays in pain. Yeah. So I show women a way to do it beautifully, but the woman has to be willing to step into that place. We'll be back to the episode really soon, but first, a quick word from our sponsors. So regular listeners will know that I only affiliate with brands whose products I already use and trust. Integrity is one of my company's core values, and I feel really strongly about knowing that my listeners can be in full trust about any product I endorse. I personally contacted Block Blue Light UK after using their blue blocking glasses when I had to start working later into the evening. I began wearing the blue blockers because I was aware of what being exposed to the artificial blue light of my laptop would do to my circadian rhythm if I was working after dark, and especially because we spend so much time on them during the day. After using them for a few months, there was a noticeable difference in how quickly I was able to fall asleep after finishing work not that long before. During the lockdowns and homeschooling my son, I also got him a kid's pair, and he now wears them anytime he's at a screen, not just after dark. And I feel really strongly about how important it is for both us and our children. Now, if you've never heard of blue light blocking, and this is the first time you're hearing it, Studies have shown that artificial blue light from screens, devices, and all modern lighting are having detrimental effects on our health. Artificial blue light disrupts our sleep, interferes with our hormones, and causes digital eye strain, which can lead to long-term eye health issues. Since using the glasses myself, and by the way, they do amazing fit-over glasses that fit seamlessly over any glasses you might already have to wear, which has been priceless for me because I have to wear my glasses when I'm at screen, I've noticed better sleep quality and an improvement in the thyroid issues I was struggling to balance out fully since having my kids. Bonus! Since Block Blue Light's sponsorship for last season, hundreds of you have made a decision to improve your health and your sleep by ordering their products. And I'm only hearing positive things, which was exactly my intention for this collaboration. So to check out all of Block Blue Light's incredible health-boosting products, including day and nighttime glasses, blue light blocking light bulbs, and 100% light blocking sleep masks to help you into a deeper sleep, visit blockbluelight.co.uk UK and use the code Lauren10 for a 10% discount. That's blockbluelight.co.uk and use the code Lauren10. Thank you so much to Block Blue Light. It's also, you know, you talk about society and culture and I think that's also important to note here because many women are in a situation where they are financially dependent on the husband or the partner and the leaving the decision of whether to leave in most many cases that I see comes down to can I can I afford to do it and that's just so sad because that decision is just based on finances and logistics okay so then then I tell women that yeah okay if you can't leave because of financial financial problems then create that fine that logistical logical relationship with your partner you know free them you free yourself, but you stay together because you both can't afford to leave. Then you talk honestly that it's a social financial contract, mm. right? And then they're like, oh, then my husband will just leave me. Well, then it was coming anyway. Then you have to face that anyway, right? So let's get real. You don't have to leave if you can't afford to, but then let's make it palatable. So I've helped many couples to sleep in different rooms. 
to have different relationships. So at least you're not burdened with the emotional sexual pressure on top of the financial. Then let's just make it a financial logistical relationship mm. and keep it moving, you know? But we can't have it all. We can't have the illusion, the fantasy and the money. You know, we have to be yeah. clear about why we're there. And if it is just a brother, sister, financial, father, mother relationship, let's call it that. Sleep in different rooms. Let's keep it together for the children. Then, then, then let's call it what it is. So we take off the burden of wanting to be happy now with this person. So at least the other person doesn't need to make us happy anymore. Done. Okay, I don't make you happy. You don't make me happy. Let's stop pretending. But we can't afford to leave. This is how we share the financial burden. You know, but we want it all. We're miserable. We want the money and we don't let the partner leave. And then we don't have sexual pleasure outside. They can't have sexual. So we're all really miserable. Yeah. So let's cut the facade and call it what it is. And now free ourselves to go find pleasure or find joy. Very interesting. I like that. It's it's just another approach again, like not kind of looking, looking outside of the box and thinking, okay, well, what are my other options here then? Right. We can't just keep complaining or go to therapy and really try to work on the relationship then. If you want you know, to, yeah. If you want to, there's always a way to reach equilibrium. There's always a way to reach equanimity. We just don't want to reach equanimity because we have to give up some part of our fantasy. You know, there's always a way to do this well, even yes. if the other partner stinks at it. There is tremendous power in the woman to do this well, even if she's making a compromise, yeah. quote unquote, a compromise, but it's not a sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love in, in the book, you talk about the gift of rock bottoms, and I love how you call it a gift. So I'd love you to kind of elaborate on that. Well, the reason we reach rock bottom is because the usual modus operandi is not working the usual tactics are not working you know the addict reaches rock bottom because now the addiction has killed them is causing an illness it's not working it's causing death so what rock bottom psychologically means when your egoic defenses your masks of trying to be the good girl has now killed you your your decision to be self-sacrificing is now killing you that's what rock bottom means, that your old ways are now killing you. So you have a choice to continue dying or to resurrect yourself. And the resurrection will, will involve a letting go of what was killing you. So you have to either let go of the addiction. So addiction to what? So if you're an alcoholic, then it's to the alcohol. But if it's to the good girl or the people pleaser or the conflict avoider or the super achiever, you have to let go of that addiction. You have to let go of your addiction to whatever it was that is now killing you. And that is the resurrection. That is the redemption. That is the reclamation and the renaissance. And that is the turning. That is the radical awakening. So rock bottoms are beautiful, but they're really hard when you reach them. They <laughs> they're I think the rock, I, rock, rock bottom. I agree that they're, they're really magical because there's so much growth because it's the only time in most women's life, it, it, you know, their first this kind of first rock bottom that they're acknowledging is perhaps the only time, the first time that they are really looking at the things that they've never allowed themselves to look at and acknowledge the things that are really difficult to look at and, you know, getting kind of comfortable in that discomfort and sitting with it and letting it wash over you as opposed to kind of we're just pushing it under the carpet so that we can just move on to the next thing and carry on in life. So, I yeah, I just think that it, it's a really beautiful place to be because you can 
only go up from there. I mean, obviously things can, you know, could get worse, but acknowledging the pain, you know, is, is there's growth from there. That's what I mean by going up from there. There's growth from there. Absolutely. It's torturous. It's a birth canal, but there is beauty on the other side, but the process feels like death because something has to die. Mm. It's that is what is rock bottom is something is being called to the guillotine to die. Mm. So it's not pleasurable, but it's a beautiful process because it was meant to die so mm. that you could truly live. Right. But in that moment, we feel like to give up that addiction means to die, but we don't realize the addiction was killing us. Yeah. It's that very crucial precipitous choice point that scares us. But when we go through that birthing canal, right? I'm sure the 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 pre-born baby felt it was going to die through that, but then it comes out crying. But then it starts living, mm. only to then be conditioned and die again. But okay, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's it's so it feels like that. But it's such a pivotal moment. So when people are going through that, if they're aware, hey, I'm at a rock bottom moment. Something's going to have to die. My old addictions are going to have to wear off then at least they can know where they are in their narrative mm-hmm. and know that they're going through the dark night of the soul and there is redemption on the other side. Do you do you feel like your views have, because of this, have changed since, say, the awakened family? No, I've just focused on different things. You know, uh, in the awakened family, also I only spoke about authenticity of the mm-hmm. parent. And it takes, you know, one authentic parent, one conscious parent to raise a conscious child. I always knew about the power of that one parent, the power of that one person. But I also talked about the authentic raising of the child can only happen when the parent is in authenticity. Mm-hmm. But that those books focus more on the parent-child dynamic. Yeah. This one is focusing on the internal dynamics of the mother or the woman. Um, but I have always been about examining institutions. In the parenting books, I examine the institution of parenting. But in this book, I examine the institutions of marriage, of love, of beauty, you know, more things that are relevant to the global universal woman. Mm, Yeah. And so let's talk about parenting, because obviously, you know, your first books were about that. And it's how a lot of people know you. What I find, something that I find difficult myself as well, and that, you know, one of the reasons I I read your books is this kind of control mode that we're in as parents. How do we move out of that and allow our children to grow into their authentic selves so we don't have to kind of go back, you know, when they're older and unravel all this stuff that we're trying to unravel in ourselves now? Well, the reason we control our children is because we feel so afraid that if they turn out a particular way, that means we are a particular way. So we're always controlling our own anxieties. We need to know what are we controlling? Because if we enter a space of abundance that our children don't define us, then we can be in charge, but we don't have to be in control. Now, of course we have to be in charge because children under the age of 10 don't have their frontal cortex developed and they don't know about traffic lights and how many cookies to eat and what's poisonous. So we have to be in charge, but do we have to be in control? There's a very different energy that comes when we're trying to be in control. Control comes from this helplessness that if they are not good enough, we're not good enough. And our sense of identity is enmeshed in our children. So I teach parents how to step out of trying to be in this resistance and control mode, which comes out of a lack and scarcity to this 
more abundant place of, yes, I'm in charge, but I can't really control what goes on in my kid's life, right? You can't control if they're invited to a party or not. You can't control if they fall in love with a moron or an idiot or a lovely person or not. So stop trying to control it. Yeah. Their pain doesn't mean you're a bad parent. Their poor decisions doesn't mean you're a bad mom. It just means they are learning their way, you know? I literally have no control over my daughter. Now I can be in charge of how much money I give her. She's 18. I can be in charge of how I am with her, but I don't have control over who she likes. You know, the other day she cleaned her room after literally 60 days of a tornado. And I said, wow, how come you cleaned your room? Like what's going on? And she said to me, oh, this boy I liked is coming back into town. Uh. <laughs> she was so cute. And it was about that. And I was like, wow, I have no control. I've been telling her to clean her room for 60 days. I have no control. Somebody yeah. else has control over her. You know, this is what it means. Like we have to understand that their peers matter more to them than we do. Mm. Their crushes matter more to them or their image to their friends matter more to them than we do. And that is about realizing how little control we have, especially as they grow older. So we don't want to have control. We want to be in charge of, you know, as much as we need to be before they turn teenagers. But after teenagehood, really, you'll see, <laughs> you literally have zero control. How do we then learn how to trust them? Is it all in the upbringing and just believing that if we kind of do the best we can, then we just have to trust them? Because, you know, kids can do crazy things. They, you will, know? they will do crazy things. They will make stupid mistakes. It's about trusting the journey of life. It's about trusting your own journey. How stupid and dumb were we? Yeah. Oh, it's, so dumb, right? it's a wonder we're alive. I mean, there are moments I recount that I could hide. Yeah. You know? So what were we doing? right? So we weren't really smart. I wasn't really smart like till now, like even now I'm not that smart. So, so let's understand that this is the process of being human. It's be to be dumb. Mm -hmm. It's to make really reckless choices. And so it's not about trusting your child per se. It's about trusting that this is how life is. And still crap can happen. You can have the most smartest, well-balanced kid, and they could still go through a traumatic experience that can completely derail them. Yeah. That could turn them into a drug addict at 40. And you're like, hello, what happened to you? So life is not predictable. Life is not meant to be predictable. Life is what it is. We have no control over our children. We have to release our desire to control it so we feel good and surrender to every life is their life, is each person's life. Let them live it. Yeah. Let them live it. And, and it's theirs to grow into or grow out of, not ours to. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to know your, because obviously everything you're talking about, especially in the new book, Radical Awakening, is very much about kind of shifting away from these paradigms and, you know, the, the, the patriarchy. And I, as mothers of daughters, what we should be teaching them in order to kind of contribute to this shift away from the patriarchy and what we should be teaching our boys as well. I've got a boy and a girl, and, and I think it's equally important to, to ease them both into this lesson. Well, I think the most important thing is the voice, the inner voice. So I really tried hard to get daughter a voice, meaning I had to honor her voice, even though I didn't like the voice sometimes. Mm. Uh, and it was against me, but to honor the voice. And the next thing is this whole thing around beauty, you know, you know, to honor our children's beauty as it is. Mm. I really tried to teach my daughter to honor her body as it was. And to go, you're going to do, that's your body, accept it, love it. Don't try to be another body. 
So that's what we can teach our daughters. And for our sons is to really teach them consent. You know, if a woman says no, it's a no. You know, don't teach your daughter, oh, you're that boy, he likes you. That's why he annoys you. No, he's annoying. Period. It's not because he likes you. Tell him to swat <laughs> off, you know, swat him off. Like, no, he's not allowed to annoy you because he likes yeah. you. And to teach a boy, when a girl says no, it's no. You know, mm-hmm. let's start there. Those are the basics. And, uh, you know, teach our daughters that they accept their bodies and their beauty mm-hmm. and to stop trying to be something that they're not, yeah. you know. And uh, again, to also allow our daughters to come into it on their own. Like my daughter dyed her hair changed her hair color. Now she's back to original hair color. And I said, see, I told you, your original <laughs> hair color was gorgeous. Yeah, but I needed to do that. Yeah. You know, and that's okay too. Mm. You know, we're all going to be subjugated by culture and that's okay too. Mm. I guess also teaching our boys about women's bodies and that it's like how they look is okay. And the boys shouldn't be judging them based on whether they look like a Kardashian or whatever. Yeah, I know, but that's really hard for boys not to do that. So we have to teach our daughters that they're going to be doing that, but you don't fall into it. Mm. They're going to do it because they're, they're, they're these bodies that look like dolls because these people, women are doing all these things to their bodies. That's unnatural. Mm. So yes, you're right. Teach the boys that that is not a normal body. That is a done up body. And teach your daughters not to feel bad because they have a regular body and they haven't done things to their body. Yeah. Yeah. So based on all of this, how is your relationship with your own daughter? Well, you know, it's a very normal relationship. You know, she gets it with me. She is in love with me. She is just a regular 18 year old who's trying to get her way, you know, and my goal and role is to be real with her and also hold space. Yeah, that's so important. The holding space. Yeah. 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 I just one last question before we move on to the last little segment is we've kind of been through this pandemic now and parenting during a pandemic has been probably the hardest thing that any parents you know of this generation have ever had to do and I wonder because what's going to happen and if we're going back into lockdowns ever how would you have dealt with it if your children were really young and what advice would you be giving to mums dealing with this the intensity of having your kids around all the time and having to teach them things that are just crazy and not anything that we ever would have anticipated to have to tell them about well again just releasing the pressure you can't do it all so let your kid fall asleep during class or let your kid not do so well in school don't try to make healthy meals at least you know something has to give so that you could just get through an intense time this is true for all intensity which is all of childhood right? Ease the idea of perfectionism. Stop yourself from inner criti- the inner critic mm-hmm. and release the, this idea that you need to be this idea. Yeah. Yeah. Best advice. <laughs> okay. So I, I told you before we started, we do this thing called all just ask you a series of quick fire questions to get the listener to know you a little bit better. So the first one I always ask is fill in the blank. Well-being is self-honor and self-care. Mm, beautiful. Uh, the one practice we need to put into place to be better mothers. Self-honor and self-care. <laughs> that, that's going to be the theme. I think, I think more deeply self-acceptance teaching our children that we are whole in whatever step of the journey we are at 
So if we are still messy, we are whole. If we're not yet where we need to be professionally, we're still, if Mm. our body isn't back to being fit, we're still whole. Mm. So wholeness doesn't depend on the external, it depends on the internal state of consciousness. Mm. So the next question is, you know, the one practice we need to put into place to be happier as as opposed to as mothers, would it be the same? Yeah, is to enter the state of inner acceptance that we are not the Kardashian or the neighbor or Mrs. Jones, we are who we are and accepting Mm. that. Which one person has made the greatest impact on your life and why? Well, I would have to say my parents, you know, because they have set the foundation for this intense journey I've been on and they've really represented unequivocal acceptance. And lastly, a book that changed your life. Um, I would say, you know, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Mm, So many people say that. Yeah, because (laughs) he was one of the first teachers who came out but I would also say, you know, all the teachings of the Buddha. Uh, I've been practicing Buddha's Vipassana meditation since I was 21. So it's this kind of philosophy of present moment living that really radicalized my life. Yeah, it's it's so important. Present moment awareness. I'm trying to really be in the present moment as much as possible. So I love that to end on. Dr. Shafali, where can people find you? We will put it all in the show notes, but just let everyone know now the best places to find you. So they can grab a copy of the book at aradicalawakening.com or wherever books are available. And uh, my word is drshikali.com. I have an Instagram account and Facebook. So I would love them to follow me there. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being here and imparting all your beautiful wisdom on us. So appreciate being here. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to Recondition today. I'd be so grateful if you could subscribe and maybe even leave a review if you enjoyed this episode. And better still, if you could share with friends and family who could benefit from the content, that's what I'd really love. I just want us to share the love so that everyone can understand how to use an integrative approach to life and health. For more free resources, visit laurenvacneen.co.uk and laurenvacneencoaching.com.